Howdy and welcome to the 10-Week Bible Study. This is week two, day one of our study of Isaiah. I'm your host, Darren Hibbs, and today we're talking about Isaiah 4. Welcome back to the 10-Week Bible Study. Again, I'm your host, Darren Hibbs. And before we get started, I want to encourage you to remember to read Isaiah 10 times in these next 10 weeks. we got nine more weeks to go through this. It really can transform your life. With that, let's go ahead and pray before we start today. Lord, would you open our eyes and our ears to hear what your word has to say to us. God, speak to us and fill our hearts with the knowledge of you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. With that, let's jump into God's word of reading today from the NIV. This is Isaiah 4, starting in verse 1. In that day, seven women will take hold of one man and say, We will eat our own food and provide our own clothes. Only let us be called by your name. Take away our disgrace. And so... Again, talked about this last week. Um, every passage, when we start out, we need to ask ourselves the question, what are we talking about? Is this uh, a continuation of the previous chapter? Is this something new? Is Isaiah talking to something that's already happened or something that's yet to come? In this case, as we're looking at it, it seems pretty clear that this is a continuation of chapter 3. There's this uh, societal upheaval, right? They've thrown off the knowledge of God. And Isaiah goes into a long description of how the women dress and that there's a societal acceptance of the way that the women dress. It's not that the, again, I said this last week, it's not that God hates beautiful women. It's that they, the society has thrown off what the, the prescribed morality that God has given us for one of their own and licentiousness and all of this. And it shows in the way that the women dress and that the way that they, they carry themselves in the city. This is approved of. This is okay for everyone. Again, if this is sounding familiar, it should scare us a little bit. Um, and so this is a continuation of that because God has said, hey, listen, um, I'm going to destroy you right? Women, I'm going to shave your hair off. You're going to be branded like property by this invading army and all your men are going to die. And so the prophecy here is that a lot of men have fallen in battle. And so now continuing there is there's seven women to every one man because so many men have died in battle, literally. And so um, normally in that day, and going, going back culturally, um, rich men would have a harem because it takes a lot of money to support not just the women, but all of the children. Imagine, right, if, if you're just an average guy, okay, <laughs> um, we're putting ourselves in their shoes for just a moment. Not, not talking about any of the cultural weirdness that would come uh, with understanding this nowadays, but if we put ourselves in their shoes and you're just a normal guy, normal salary, um, you're like, Hey, it'd be nice to have seven wives. Okay. Well, with those seven wives come their appetites and their need for clothing and shelter. Not that much, right? Compared to, to, you know, the burly men, most women eat like birds, not a big deal, but with those seven women, they're also going to have children. So maybe let's say each one of those seven women has uh, five kids apiece. Or let's just say four kids apiece, right? So now you got 28 mouths to feed as time goes on. And let's just say that half of those 28 turn into teenage boys. All right. Now you're starting to get the picture, right? 14 teenage boys that you've now got to feed 
that's a, a the the math works out a lot different than just saying, oh, wouldn't it be nice to have seven women? No, no, no. Right. So average guys, poor guys did not have a harem back then. Wealthy men had harems for varieties of different reasons. Um, but but poor men did not. And so what this is saying is you got seven women going up to the average dude saying, listen. Uh, there's no one for us to marry and we're going to become old maids with no children to take care of us. Um, take away our disgrace and marry us. And the guy's like, I can't afford to marry all seven of you. Like I ain't got, I don't have that kind of money. And so they're like, no, no, listen, we will provide our own food. We'll provide our own clothes. We'll take care of ourselves. Just let us be called by your name. Marry us. Let us be your harem so that we can like have kids and, and, and be taken care of. Like that's, that's what's going on right here in this passage. And so this is a continuation from the previous chapter. And so that's the, the, the negative sad part. And now Isaiah is going to give us a little bit of hope. Verse two, in that day, the branch of the Lord will be beautiful and glorious and the fruit of the land will be the pride and glory of the survivors in Israel. Those who are left in Zion, who remain in Jerusalem, will be called holy. All who are recorded among the, uh, among the living in Jerusalem. The Lord will wash away the filth of the women of Zion. He will cleanse the bloodstains from Jerusalem by a spirit of judgment and a spirit of fire. So he's saying what was allowed before, all of that, that craziness, all that chaos, nonsense, the way the women were acting, um, the Lord's going to cleanse them from that, those that remain. And all of the, the blood stains, all of the blood that was spilled of the men inside the city, the Lord's going to clean all of that away. This, the spirit of judgment and fire. And the Lord is actually going to restore this city. Verse 5. Then the Lord will create over all Mount Zion and over those who assemble there a cloud of smoke by day and a glow of flaming fire by night. Over everything, the glory will be a canopy. And so this is obviously alluding back to the Exodus. When they come out of Egypt, the Lord is leading them in a cloud by day and a fire by night. And the Lord is saying, hey, listen, when all of this happens and there's been devastation and destruction, I'm going to bring you back. I'm going to restore this city and it will be as supernatural as, as when I brought the people out of Egypt. Now, whether not the, the smoke by day, the cloud by day and the fire by night was a literal thing here is, is that's, that's tough to know. Maybe that, that happened. Like, and he's saying there's going to be a, a, a canopy, like a, there's going to be a glory canopy of the Lord over the city of a, a supernatural protection. Um, and so, again, sometimes parsing through these things, is this literal? Is this figurative? I don't know. We don't have, at least historically, we don't have any record of these things being literal, but maybe those things were excluded from what we have as far as history, or maybe it's speaking figuratively over the supernatural protection. Maybe these things are still yet future. Those are some of the difficult things to parse through when you're reading through Isaiah. But again, read through these things over and over and over again. And a lot of questions start to get answered before you're, you're done. Read through it multiple times before you start jumping to Google or commentaries or whatever else as, as helpful as those things can be, be more familiar with God's word than anything else. Verse six, it will be a shelter in shade from the heat of the day and a refuge and hiding place from the storm and rain. 
So again, this is connected to chapter three because this is this is a continuation of that narrative in chapter three. So chapter three and chapter four go together. Again, exactly when this is talking about, it's not clear. Was it was it Jerusalem getting destroyed in 70 AD when it was under siege? Was it the Babylonian captivity? Because Babylon laid siege. Um, there's a couple of uh, other smaller times when Jerusalem had uh, a siege laid against it in between Isaiah and now. Um, and so for me, and I, I think there, there are scholars you can read and they're 100% convinced that this was this or whatever. Um, maybe it is, right? Maybe it was the Babylonian captivity. Maybe it was the Roman captivity. I'm not 100% sure which one this applies to, but it very much sounds like um, one of the sieges that was laid against the city or maybe even a future siege or maybe the one that's happened in more contemporary history. Um, <clears throat> although there aren't too, too many of those uh, necessarily. But uh, the, the point here is that the Lord was going to restore the city and, uh, and he was going to be this supernatural protection over the city. And I love how the Lord does this through the prophet Isaiah over and over again is that there's, there's uh, warning, there's judgment, but there's always the, the love and grace and restoration of the Lord. The Lord is always going to leave the remnant of, of those that are righteous, that are serving him, and he's always going to bring restoration to his people Israel. And so his people Israel, and as Paul says to us, Gentiles like me, they get grafted into the tree. I get to inherit a little bit of these kinds of promises. Now, it doesn't mean that, you know, every single aspect of this is perfectly equivocable in my life and that the Lord is going to, I'm going to get to be the remnant and he's going to restore everything. It doesn't quite work like that, right? But generally the principles apply. The righteous, the Lord's going to, generally speaking, proverbially speaking, mostly true most of the time, he's going to save them. He's going to preserve them. He's going to um, restore them. Does that always happen? No, right? Because think about Daniel. Daniel gets carted away to Babylon. Um, it doesn't say this explicitly, but we're meant to understand that Daniel's parents, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, their parents, they're gone. They're dead. Babylonians killed them, take the, the aristocratic children, retrain them in Babylon, right? And so if I'm Daniel's parents, I didn't make it through that. Daniel makes it. My kids make it. I didn't make it. Um, so it's not like the Lord is promising, hey, if you're righteous, you're going to come through this fire. No, you know, if your heart is for me, you're going to come to this fire. The Lord does not always promise that. In fact, Jesus tells us, listen, if you follow me, trouble is coming your way. Trouble is coming your way. Now, do you, do you come through that fire or not? Lord gives us no promises of that, but he does give us a general promise that he's always going to be there for the righteous, one way or the other, one way or the other. We don't always know what that looks like, but one way or the other. And what he builds after the, the cataclysms is always through the righteous. And so we need to understand those general principles. Um, you know, that's where like prosperity gospel and that kind of stuff, that can get all so wackadoodle, right? Because there's so many veins of truth 
in what people in, in, in what are traditionally called the prosperity gospel, so many veins of truth and so many biblical veins of truth in those things. But when you take the things that are generally true or generally proverbially before the Lord, meaning mostly true most of the time, and you try to apply them all the time, it's like, if you do you know, if you do these things, you will definitely have health, wealth, and success and all this kind of stuff. It doesn't always work like that. Those are general principles that, it, yes, if you do those generally, right, obey the Lord, engage in sound business practices and all this kind of, and tithe and donate, then yes, generally speaking, you become wealthy. Does that always happen? No, right? Do all the right things. Follow the Lord. And when the war comes, you're preserved and you make it out. Does that always happen? No. Generally speaking, yes, the Lord is going to do that. But but for us each individually, there's no promise. And so we can't hang on the promise for me unless the Lord has prophetically and specifically given you that promise. There's no promise in scripture to us individually that we will come through those fires. But generally speaking, the righteous, the Lord will preserve the righteous through the fire and through those cataclysms. Those are tough things sometimes to wrap our minds around because uh, we generally, especially Westerners, we want to apply everything in scripture on a very uh, granular personal level. And sometimes that's not the way scripture works. Sometimes the Lord is speaking generally to the society or to people, not to individuals. Sometimes he's speaking to individuals, but sometimes he's speaking to a, a society, a nation, a people group. And we need to understand the difference between the two of those. And when we can apply things to our lives personally as, as promises or just apply things generally, it's a very important lesson to learn from scripture. For the 10-Week Bible Study, I'm your host, Aaron Hibbs, and I can't wait to see you next time. Hey, thanks for tuning into the 10-Week Bible Study podcast. If you've enjoyed this podcast, would you consider leaving a review for it on your podcast app of choice? It really helps other people find out about this podcast, and my heart is for people to fall in love with God's Word. Thank you.